This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anastasia Simão de Portugal. The Last of the Mohicans by James Fenimore Cooper. Chapter 12. The urns stood aghast at this sudden visitation of death on one of their band. But as they regarded the fatal accuracy of an aim which had dared to immolate an enemy at so much hazard to a friend, the name of La Longue Carabine burst simultaneously from every lip, and was succeeded by a wild and the sword of plaintive Powell. The cry was answered by a loud shout from a little thicket, where the incautious party had peeled their arms, and at the next moment, Hawkeye, too eager to load the rifle he had regained, was seen advancing up on them, brandishing the club weapon and cutting the air with wide and powerful swaps bold and rapid as was the progress of the scout it was exceeded by that of a light and vigorous form which bounding past him leaped with incredible activity and daring into the very center of the urons where it stood whirling a tomahawk and flourishing a glittering knife with fearful menaces in front of cora Quicker than thoughts could follow those unexpected audacious movements, an image, armed in the emblematic panoply of death, glided before their eyes, and assumed a threatening attitude at the other side. The savage tormentors recalled before these warlike intruders, and uttered, as they appeared in such quick succession, the often repeated and peculiar exclamations of surprise, followed by the well-known and dreaded appellations of... Le Cerf Agile, Le Gros Serpent. But the wary and diligent leader of the Hurons was not so easily disconcerted. Casting his keen eyes around the little plain, he comprehended the nature of the assault at a glance, and encouraging his followers by his voice as well as by his example, he unsheathed his long and dangerous knife, and rushed with a low whoop upon the expected Chingachuk. It was the signal for a general combat. Neither party had firearms, and the contest was to be decided in the deadliest manner, hand to hand, with weapons of offense and none of defense. Uncas answered the whoop, and leaping on an enemy, with a single, well-directed blow of his tomahawk, cleft him to the brain. Eyward tore the weapon of Magua from the sapling, and rushed eagerly towards the fray. As the combatants were now equal in number, each singled an opponent from the adverse band. The Russian blows passed with the fury of a whirlwind, and swiftness of lightning. Hawkeye soon got another enemy within reach of his arm, and with one sweep of his formidable weapon he beat down the slight and inartificial defenses of his antagonist, crushing him to the earth with a blow. Award ventured to hurl the tomahawk he had seized, too ardent to await the moment of closing. It struck the Indian he had selected on the forehead, and checked for an instant in onward rush. Encouraged by this slight advantage, the impetuous young man continued his onset, and sprang upon his enemy with naked hands. A single instant was enough to assure him of the rashness of the measure, for he immediately found himself fully engaged, with all his activity and courage, in endeavoring toward the desperate thrusts made with the knife of the Huron. 
unable longer to fall an enemy so alert and vigilant, he threw his arms about him, and succeeded in pinning the limbs of the other to his side, with an iron grasp, but one that was far too exhausting to himself to continue long. In this extremity he heard a voice near him, shouting, "'Exterminate the varlets! No quarter to an accursed mingle!' At the next moment the breech of Hawkeye's rifle fell on the naked head of his adversary, whose muscles appeared to wither under the shock as he sank from the arms of Duncan, flexible and motionless. When Hankas had brained his first antagonist, he turned, like a hungry lion, to seek another. The fifth and only Huron disengaged at the first onset that paused the moment, and then, seeing that all around him were employed in the deadly strife, he had sought, with hellish vengeance, to complete the fearful work of revenge. Raising a shout of triumph, he sprang towards the defenseless Cora, sending his keen axe as the dreadful precursor of his approach. The tomahawk grazed her shoulder, and cutting the weeds which bound her to the tree, left the maiden at liberty to fly. She eluded the grasp of the savage, and, reckless of her own safety, threw herself on the bosom of Alice, striving with convulsed and ill-directed fingers to tear asunder the twigs which confined the person of her sister. Any other than a monster would have relented at such an act of generous devotion to the best and purest affection. But the breast of the Huron was a stranger to sympathy. Seizing Cora by the rich dresses, which fell in confusion over her form, he tore her from the frantic hold, and bowled her down with brutal violence to her knees. The savage drew the flowing curls through his hand, and raising them on high with an outstretched arm, he passed his knife around the exquisitely molded head of his victim, with a taunting and exulting laugh. But he purchased this moment of fierce gratification with loss of the fatal opportunity. It was just then the sight caught the eye of Uncas. Bounding from his footsteps, he appeared from an instant darting through the air and descending in a ball, he fell on the chest of his enemy, driving him many yards from the spot, headlong and prostrate. The violence of the exhortation cast the young Mohican at his side. They rose together, fought and bled, each in his turn. But the conflict was soon decided. The tomahawk of Ahort and the rifle of Hawkeye descended on the skull of the Huron, at the same moment that the knife of Uncas reached his heart. The battle was now entirely terminated with the exception of the protracted struggle between Le Renard Subtle and the Gros Serpent. Well did these barbarous warriors prove that they deserved those significant names which had been bestowed for these in former wars. When they engaged, some little time was lost in eluding the quick and vigorous thrusts which had been aimed at their lives. Suddenly darting on each other, they closed, and came to the earth, twisted together like twinning serpents, in pliant and subtle folds. At the moment when the victors found themselves unoccupied, the spot where these experienced and desperate combatants lay could only be distinguished by a cloud of dust and leaves, which moved from the center of the little plain toward its boundary, as if raised by the passage of a whirlwind. Urged by the different motives of filial affection, friendship and gratitude, Hayward and his companions rushed in one accord to the place, encircling the little canopy of dust which hung above the warriors. In vain did Uncas dart around the cloud, 
with a wish to strike his knife into the heart of his father's soul. The threatening rifle of Hawkeye was raised and suspended in vain, while Duncan endeavored to seize the limbs of the Huron with hands that appeared to have lost their power. Covered as they were with dust and blood, the swift evolutions of the combatants seemed to incorporate their bodies into one. The death-like looking figure of the Mohican, and the dark form of the Huron, gleamed before their eyes in such quick and confused succession that friends of the former knew not where to plant securing blow. It is true there were short and fleeting moments, when fury eyes of Magua were seen glittering, like the feeble organs of the basilisk through the dusty wretch by which he was enveloped, and he read by those short and deadly glances the fate of the combatant in the presence of his enemies. Here, however, any hostile hand could ascend on his devoted head. Its place was filled by the scalding visage of Chingachuk. In this manner, the scene of the combat was removed from the center of the little plain to its verge. The Mohican now found an opportunity to make a powerful thrust with his knife. Magua suddenly relinquished his grasp and fell backward with motion and seemingly without life. His adversary leaped on his feet, making the arches of the forest ring with the sound of triumph. Well done for the Delawares! Victory to the Mohicans! cried Hawkeye, once more elevating the butt of the long and fatal rifle. A finishing blow from a man without a cross will never tell against his honor, nor rob him of his right to be scalped. But at the very moment when the dangerous weapon was in the act of descending, the subtle errand rolled swiftly from beneath the danger, over the edge of the precipice, and falling on its feet, was seen leaping, with a single bound, into the center of a thicket of low bushes which clung along its sides. The Delawares, who had believed their enemy dead, uttered an exclamation of surprise, and were following with speed and clamor, like hounds in open view of deer, when a shrill and peculiar cry from the scout instantly changed their purpose and recalled them to the summit of the hill. "'Twas like himself,' cried the inveterate forester, whose prejudices contributed so largely to veil his natural sense of justice in all matters which concerned Mingos. A lying and deceitful varlet has he is. An honest Delaware now, being fairly vanquished, would have lain still, and been knocked on the head, but these gnavish maquas cling to life like so many cats of the mountain. Let him go, let him go. This but one man, and he without rifle or bow, many a long mile from his French comrades, unlike a rattler that lost his fangs, he can do no further mischief, until such time as he, and we too, may leave the prints of our moccasins over a long reach of sandy plain. See, Uncas, he added in Delaware, your father is flaying scalps already. It may be well to go round and feel the vagabonds that are left, or he may have another of them looping through the woods and screeching like a jay that has been winged. So saying, the honest but impeccable scout made circuit of the dead, into whose senseless bosoms he thrust his long knife, with as much coolness as though they had been so many brute carcasses. He had, however, been anticipated by the elder Mohican, who had already torn the emblems of victory from the unresisting heads of the slain. But Uncas, denying his habits, we had almost saved his nature, flew with instinctive delicacy, accompanied by Hayward, 
to the assistance of the females, and quickly releasing Alice, placed her in the arms of Cora. We shall not attempt to describe the gratitude to the almighty disposer of events which glowed in the bosoms of the sisters, who were thus unexpectedly restored to life and to each other. Their thanksgivings were deep and silent. The offerings of their gentle spirits burning brightest and purest on secret altars of their hearts, and their renovated and more earthly feelings exhibiting themselves in long and fervent though speechless caresses. As Alice rose from her knees, where she had sunk by the side of Cora, she threw herself on the bosom of the latter, and sobbed aloud the name of their aged father, while her soft, dove-like eyes sparkled with rays of hope. We are saved, we are saved, she murmured, to return to the arms of our dear, dear father, and this heart will not be broken with grief, and you too, Cora, my sister, my more than sister, my mother, you too are spared, and Duncan, she added, looking round upon the youth with a smile of ineffable innocence. Even your own brave and noble Duncan has escaped without a hurt. To these ardent and nearly innocent words, Cora made no other answer than my strained useful speaker to her heart, as she bent over her in melting tenderness. The manhood of Award felt no shame in dropping tears over this spectacle of affectionate rapture, and Uncas stood fresh and blood-stained from the combat, a calm and, apparently, an unmoved looker-on, it is true, but his eyes, that had already lost their fierceness, and were beaming with a sympathy that he elevated him far above the intelligence, and advanced him probably centuries before the practices of his nation. During this display of emotion so natural in their situation, Hawkeye, whose vigilant distrust had satisfied itself that the Eurons, who disfigured the heavenly scene, no longer possessed power to interrupt its harmony, approached David, and liberated him from the bonds he had, until that moment, endured with his most exemplary patience. There, exclaimed the scout, casting the last weed behind him. You are once more master of your own limbs, though you seem not to use them with much greater judgment than that in which they were first fashioned. If advice from one who is not older than yourself, but who, having lived most of his time in the wilderness, may be said to have experience beyond his ears, will give no offence, you are welcome to my thoughts, and these are, to part with the little tooting instrument in your jacket to the first fool you meet with, and buy some weapon with money, if it be only the barrel of a horseman's pistol. By industry and care you might thus come to some preferment, for by this time, I should think, your eyes would plainly tell you that a carrion crow is a better bird than a mocking treasure. The other will, at least, remove false sights from before the face of man, while the other is only good to brew disturbances in the woods, by cheating the ears of all that hear them. Arms and clarion for the battle, but sang of thanksgiving to the victory, answered the liberated David. Friend, he added, thrusting forth his lean, delicate hand toward Okai, in kindness, while his eyes twinkled and grew moist. I thank thee that the hairs of my head still grow where they were first rooted by providence, for, 
though those of other men may be more glossy and curly, I have ever found mine own well suited to the brain they shelter. That I did not join myself to the battle was less owing to disinclination than to the bonds of the heaven. Valiant and skilful hast thou proved thyself in the conflict, and I hereby thank thee, before proceeding to discharge other and more important duties, because thou hast proved thyself well worthy of a Christian's praise. The thing is but a trifle, and what you may often see if you tarry long among us, returned the scout, a good deal softened toward the mang of song, by this unequivocal expression of gratitude. I have got back my old companion, Kildeer, he added, striking his hand on the breech of his rifle. And that in itself is a victory. These Iroquois are cunning, but they outwitted themselves when they placed their firearms out of reach. And had Uncas or its father been gifted with only their common Indian patience, we should have come in upon knaves with three bullets instead of one, and that would have made the finish of the old pack. Young looping varlet as well as his comrades, but does all foreordered and for the best. Thou sayest well, returned David, and hast caused the true spirit of Christianity. He that is to be saved will be saved, and he that is predestined to be damned will be damned. This is a doctrine of truth, and most consoling and refreshing it is to the true believer. The scout, who by this time was seated, examining into the state of his rifle with a species of parental assiduity, now looked up at the other in a displeasure that he did not affect to conceal, roughly interrupting further speech. Doctrine or no doctrine, said stirred me woodsman. This is the belief of knaves, and curse of an honest man. I can credit that yonder urine was to fall by my hand, for with my own eyes I have seen it, but nothing short of being a witness will cause me to think he has met with any reward, or that Chingachuk there will be condemned that final day. You have no warranty for such an audacious doctrine, nor any covenant to support it, cried David, who was deeply tinctured with several distinctions which, in his time, and more especially in his province, had been drawn around the beautiful simplicity of revelation, by endeavouring to penetrate the awful mystery of the divine nature, supplying faith by self-sufficiency, and by consequence, involving those who reason from such human dogmas in absurdities and doubt. Your temple is reared on stands, and the first tempests will wash away its foundations. I demand your authorities for such an uncharitable assertion. Like other advocates of a system, David was not always accurate in his use of terms. Name chapter and verse. In which of the holy books do you find language to support you? Book, repeated Hawkeye, with singular and ill-concealed disdain. Do you take me for a whimpering boy at the apron string of one of your old cows, and this good rifle on my knee for the feather of a goose's wing, my ox horn for a bottle of ink, and my leathern pouch for a cross-bared handkerchief to carry my dinner? Book, what have such as I, who am a warrior of the wilderness, though a man without a cross, to do with books? 
I never read but in one, and the words that are written there are too simple and too plain to need much schooling, though I may boast that affords long and hard-working years. What call you the volume? said David, misconceiving the other's meaning. Tis open before your eyes, returned the scout, and he who owns it is not a niggard of its use. I've heard it said that there are men who read in books to convince themselves there is a God. I know not but man may so deform his works in the settlement, as to leave that which is so clear in the wilderness a matter of doubt among traders and priests. If any such there be, and he will follow me from sun to sun, through the windings of the forest, he shall see enough to teach him that he is a fool and that the greatest of his folly lies in striving to raise to the level of one he can never equal, be it in goodness or be it in power. The instant David discovered that he battled with the disputant who invaded his faith from the lights of nature, eschewing all subtleties of doctrine, he willingly abandoned a controversy from which he believed neither profit nor credit was to be derived. While the scout was speaking, he had also seated himself, and producing the ready little volume and the iron-rimmed spectacles, he prepared to discharge a duty, which nothing but the unexpected assault he had received in his orthodoxy could have so long suspended. He was, in truth, a minstrel of the worsened continent, of a much later day, certainly, than those gifted bards, who formerly sang the proof and renown of baron and prince, but after the spring of his own age and country, and he was now prepared to exercise the cunning of his craft in celebration of, or rather in thanksgiving for, the recent victory. He waited patiently for Akai to cease, then lifting his eyes, together with his voice, he said aloud, I invite you, friends, to join in praise for this signal deliverance from the hands of barbarians and infidels, to the comfortable and solemn tones of the tune called Northampton. The next name, the page and verse where the rhyme selected were to be found, and applying the pitched pipe to his lips, which decent gravity that he had been wont to use in the temple. This time he was, however, without any accompaniment, for the sisters were just then pouring out those tender effusions of affection which had been already alluded to. Nothing deterred by the smallest of his audience, which, in truth, consisted only of the discontented scout, he raised his voice, commencing and ending the sacred song without accident or interruption of any kind. Akai listened, while he coolly adjusted his flints and reloaded his rifle. But the sound, wanting the extraneous assistance of scene and sympathy, failed to awaken his slumbering emotions. Never minstrel, or by whatever more suitable name David should be known, drew upon his talents in the presence of more insensible auditors. Though, considering the singleness and sincerity of his motive, it is probable that no bard of profane song ever uttered notes that ascended so near to that throne where all homage and praise is due. The scout shook his head, and muttering some unintelligible words, among which throat and iroquois were alone audible, he walked away, 
to collect and to examine into the state of the capturated arsenal of Durand. In this office he was now joined by Chingachuk, who found his own, as well as the rifle of his son, among the arms. Even Hayward and David were furnished with weapons, nor was ammunition wanting to render them all effectual. When the Forestals had made their selection, and distributed their prizes, the scout announced that hour had arrived when it was necessary to move. By this time the song of Gamut had ceased, and sisters had learned still the exhibition of their emotions. Aided by Duncan and the younger Mohican, the two later descended the precipitous side of that hill which they had so lately ascended under so very different auspices, and whose summit had so nearly proved the scene of their massacre. At foot they found the Narragansetts browsing the herbats of the bushes, and having mounted, they followed the movements of a guide, who, in the most deadly straits, has so often proved himself their friend. The journey was, however, short. Hawkeye, leaving the blind path that Eurons had followed, turned short to his right, and entering the thicket, he crossed a babbling brook, and halted in a narrow dell, under the shade of a few water helms. Their distance from the base of the fatal hill was but a few rods, and steeds had been serviceable only in crossing the shallow stream. The scout and the Indians appeared to be familiar with the sequestered place where they now were, for, leaning their rifle against the trees, they commenced throwing aside the dried leaves, and opening the blue clay, out of which a clear and sparkling spring of bright, glancing water quickly bubbled. The white man then looked about him, as though seeking for some object which was not to be found as readily as he expected. Them careless wimps, the Mohawks, with their Toscarora and Onondaga brethren, have been here slacking their thirst, he muttered, but the vagabonds have thrown away the cord. This is the way with benefits, when they are bestowed on such disremembering hounds. Here has the Lord laid his hand in the midst of the howling wilderness, for their good, and raised a fountain of water from the bowels of the earth, that might laugh at the richest shop of apothecaries warring all the colonies. And see, the knaves had trodden in the clay, and deformed the cleanliness of the place, as though they were brute beasts instead of human men. Uncasality extended toward him the desired cord which the spleen of Hawkeye had thoroughly prevented him from observing on the branch of an elm. Filling it with water, he retired a short distance, to a place where the ground was more firm and dry. Here he coolly seated himself, and after taking a long, and apparently a grateful draft, he commenced a very strict examination of the fragments of food left by Eurons, which had hung in a wallet on his arm. Thank you, lad, he continued, returning the empty core to Ancus. Now we will see how these rampaging Eurons lived, when outlying in ambushments. Look at this. The varlets know the better pieces of the deer, and one would think they might carve and roast a saddle, equal to the best cook in the land. But everything is raw, for the Iroquois are thorough savages. Ancus, take my seal and kindle a fire. A mouthful of a tender brawl give nature a helping hand after so long a trail. Hayward, 
perceiving that their guides now set about their past in sober earnest, assisted the ladies to alight, and placed himself at their side, not unwilling to enjoy a few moments of grateful rest after the bloody scene he had just gone through. While the culinary process was in hand, curiosity induced him to inquire into the circumstances which had led to their timely and unexpected rescue. "'How is it that we see you so soon, my generous friend?' he asked, and without aid from the garrison of Edward. "'Had we gone to the bend in the river, we might have been in time to rake the leaves over your bodies, but too late to have saved your scalps,' coolly answered the scout. "'No, no. Instead of throwing away strength and opportunity by crossing to the fort, we lay by, under the bank of the Hudson, wanted to watch the movements of the Hurons. You were, then, witnesses of all that passed? Not of all, for Indian sight is too keen to be easily cheated, and we kept close. A difficult matter it was, too, to keep this Mohican boy snug in the abushment. Ah, hunkers, hunkers, your behavior was more like that of a curious woman than of a warrior on his scent. Ancas permitted his eyes to turn for an instant on the sturdy countenance of the speaker, but he neither spoke nor gave any indication of repentance. On the contrary, Ayward thought the manner of the young Mohican was disdainful, if not a little fierce, and that he suppressed passions that were ready to explode, as much in compliment to the listeners as from the deference he usually paid to his white associate. "'You saw our capture?' Hayward next demanded. "'We heard it,' was the significant answer. "'An Indian yell is plain language to men who have passed their days in the woods. "'But when you landed, we were driven to crawl like serpents beneath the leaves. "'And then we lost sight of you entirely, "'until we placed eyes on you again trust to the trees "'and ready bound for an Indian massacre. "'Our rescue was a deed of providence.' It was nearly merely that you did not mistake the path, for the Hurons divided, and each band had its sources. Hey, they were thrown off the stands, and might, indeed, have lost the trail, had it not been for Uncas. We took the path, however, that led into the wilderness, for we judged, and judged rightly, that savages would hold that course with their prisoners. But when we had followed it for many miles, without finding a single twig broken, as I had advised, my mind misgave me, especially as old footsteps had the prints of moccasins. Our captors had precaution to see us should like themselves, said Duncan, raising a foot and exhibiting the buckskin he wore. Hey, t'was judgmatical unlike themselves. Though we were to expart to be thrown from a trail by so common an invention, so what, then? Are we embedded for our safety? To what, as a white man who has no taint of Indian blood, I should be ashamed to own, to judgment of the young Mohicans in matters which I should know better than he, but which I now hardly believe to be true, though my own eyes tell me it is so. This extraordinary. Will not name the reason. Uncas was bold enough to say that beasts ridden by the gentle ones, continued Hawkeye, glancing his eyes, 
not without curious interest on fillets of the ladies. Planted legs on one side of the ground at the same time, which is contrary to the movements of all trotting four-footed animals of my knowledge, except the bear. And yet, here are horses that always journey in this manner, as my own eyes have seen, and as their trails have shown for twenty long miles. This merit of the animal. They come from the shores of Negronset Bay, in small provinces of Providence plantations, and are celebrated for their hardihood, and the ease of their peculiar movement, though other horses are not unfrequently trained to the same. It may be, it may be, said Hawkeye, who had listened with singular attention to this explanation. Though I am a man who has full blood of the whites, my judgment is dearer and bevering greater than his beast of burden. Major Heffingham has many noble charges, but I have never seen one treble after such a sidling gait. True, for he would value the animals for very different properties. Tillius is a breed highly esteemed and, as you witness, much honored with the burdens of its often destined to bear. Mohicans had suspended their operations about the glimmering fire to listen, and when Duncan had done, they looked at each other significantly, the father uttering the never-failing exclamation of surprise. The scout ruminated, like a man digesting his newly acquired knowledge, and once more stole a glance at the horses. I dare to say that are never stranger sights to be seen in settlements, he said at length. Nature is sadly abused by man when he once gets the mastery. But, go sliding or go straight, Uncas had seen the movement, and their trail led us on to the broken bush. Outer branch, near the prints of one of the horses, was bent upward, as a lady breaks a flower from its steam, but all the rest were ragged and broken down, as if the strong hand of a man had been cheering them. So I concluded that the cunning varmints had seen the twig bent, and had turned the rest to make us believe a buck had been filling the bows with his antlers. I do believe your sagacity did not deceive you, for some such thing occurred. That was easy to see, added the scout with no degree conscious of having exhibited an extraordinary sagacity. And a very different matter it was from a waddling horse. It then struck me the Mingos would push for this spring, for the knaves well known the virtue of its waters. Is it then so famous? demanded Hayward, examining, with more curious eyes, the secluded dell, with its bubbling fountain, surrounded as it was by earth of a deep, dingy brown. Few red skins who travel thousands east of the Great Lakes, but have heard of its qualities. Will you taste for yourself? Hayward took the gourd, and after swallowing a little of the water, threw it aside with grimaces of discontent. The scout laughed in his silenced but heartfelt manner, and shook his head with vast satisfaction. Ah, you want flavor that one gets by habit. The time was when I liked it as little as yourself. But I've come to my tastes, and I now crave it, as a deer does the licks. Your high-spiced wines are nowhere like than a red-skinned relicious this water. 
especially when his nature is hailing. But Uncas has made this fire, and it is time we think of eating, for our journey is long and all before us. Interrupting the dialogue by his abrupt transition, the scout had instant recourse to the fragments of food, which had escaped the ferocity of the urines. A very summary process completed the simple cookery, when he and Mohicans commenced their humble meal, with silence and characteristic diligence of a man who ate in order to enable themselves to endure great and unremitting toil. When this necessary and happily grateful duty had been performed, each of the foresters stopped and took a long and parting draft in that solitary and silent spring, around which and its sister fountains, within fifteen years, the wealth, beauty and talents of an hemisphere were to assemble in throngs in pursuit of health and pleasure. Then Hawkeye announced his determination to proceed. The sisters resumed their saddles. Duncan and David grabbed their rifles, and followed on footsteps, the scout leading the advance, and Mohicans bringing up the rear. The whole party moved swiftly through the narrow path, toward the north, leaving the healing waters to mingle unheed with the adjacent brooks and bodies of the dead to fester on the neighboring mount. Without the rites of sepulchre, a fate but too common to the warriors of the woods to excite either commiseration or comment. End of chapter 12